students at Columbia University. Antonia is a sweet and wholesome-looking girl who might easily blend in with a southern church-going crowd of similar age. The irony of that was never lost on me. I haven't seen you since I made crepes with Nutella for you and my dad, she cheerfully recalled, embracing me. And strawberries, I added, trying to keep the mood light. Now some four months after her father's passing, she seemed to be in as good a spirit as one could expect. She received my condolences graciously, and then broke off to greet others. Watching her, I remembered the death of my own father, a man not so different from Christopher Hitchens, and how terribly confusing that felt. Leaving her to fulfill her social duty, I turned and looked for Michael, who was now seated. To call it the Great Hall is a misnomer. It is a windowless basement whose ceiling is supported by large columns that obscure one's view of the stage at several angles. The mood of the occasion was one of summoning the presence of Christopher Hitchens in the aura of a secular spirituality. As the auditorium filled, photographs of Christopher scrolled on three screens. If there was a theme to the images, the music, the event, it was rebellion. The photographs often depicted a young Christopher protesting Vietnam, getting arrested, or generally fighting the establishment, all of which are essentially the same thing. But there were hints of something else. "'Recognize that?' Michael asked, indicating the song then playing. "'Yeah, it's Steve Winwood's Higher Love. It doesn't fit with the other songs.' "'Oh, but it does,' he said with a knowing smile." Hitchens once told me that it was his favorite song. He said, I know, I know, young Taunton, I admit it has evangelical overtones, but I do long for a higher love. When did he tell you that? When we went to Little Bighorn Battlefield together. Don't you remember? You couldn't go. Before I could reply, eulogists, thirty and all, began taking the stage as higher love gave way to Eric Clapton's knocking on heaven's door. It was an unusual assemblage. The lovely actress, Olivia Wilde, and the smarmy little physicist, Lawrence Krauss. Essayist and serial blasphemer, Salman Rushdie, and scientist and evangelical Christian, Francis Collins. And actor-activist, Sean Penn, and biographer, Douglas Brinkley. And that was not all. Playwright, Tom Stoppard. Novelist, Ian McEwen. Poet, James Fenton. Actor and homosexual activist Stephen Fry, UK journalist and brother of the deceased, Peter Hitchens. These were all there, too. The funeral, like the man himself, was largely a celebration of misanthropy, vanity, and excesses of every kind. One by one, participants approached the lectern and read from one of Christopher's many writings. Each speaker was given three minutes. Predictably, Sean Penn read from a column on Vietnam. Filmmaker Leslie Coburn chose a piece on the insanity of Ronald Reagan. Publisher Gary Goldstein chaired Christopher's intemperate views on drinking. And Stephen Fry extolled the joys of homosexual anal sex, and so on. Some read with the solemnity one expects on these occasions. Others, more conflicted perhaps, attempted something of an intellectual post-mortem. Twice eulogists in a tone suggesting embarrassment on their dead hero's behalf referred to Hitch's curious pro-war stance on Iraq.
An inconsistency in their minds and disappointment to most in the audience. Christopher was soon forgiven, however, as readings on the courage of atheism and the beauty of science reminded them of the hitch they loved and understood. A further inconsistency was Christopher's friendships with evangelicals like Francis Collins and me. Numerous times they spoke of Hitch as a contradiction. Nods and whispers from the audience indicated agreement. Were these readings meant to honor the man for whom they would make a place in the pantheon of secular heroes, or were they meant to reassure the living that in death he was who they psychologically needed him to be? Whatever their intentions, the ceremony made it all too clear that Christopher Hitchens' life would make for a lousy biography. Biographies, at least the good ones, contain some element of surprise, some unexpected wrinkle in the storyline. One can find...